Hello and welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One here on the Overtime Media Network. Mark and Mark Daly and Hamilton back again for this week, a couple days uh, later than usual. Busy week, but the culprit, you know, blame Mark. You can choose which one you want. <laughs> That's most convenient, but it's all good. But you know, better late uh, than never, and we we had to we had to do this show, Mark. There was there was no question of skipping a show under any circumstances, uh, you know, just the way that we operate, but especially this week, because we've got, uh, there's a lots of news, but we now basically have all the cars released and we're, we're going to do it. We're, we're going to do, we're going to rank all the cars and just uh, starting in a minute. But before we do, I just want to do some shout outs. Uh, we've uh, received a lot of emails and tweets uh, this week. So I just want to, via email, we had uh, messages from Devin Rance, John Guest, Ricardo Borges, and Shauna Campbell. All, uh, you know, great to hear from you guys. Devin, new hardcore fan. He binged all the, uh, the episodes from the beginning of this year up until last week. Now that is dedication. That's I, I that a lot of respect there, but uh, thank you all guys for uh, for for emailing in, and also on uh, Vita, or, I'm sorry Twitter, uh, Betangura William uh, had a nice uh, message, so uh, you know big shout out to him as well, and you know now that uh, okay couple of things here we've had uh, a lot of car releases this week we've had the official trailer for season three of uh, drive to survive come out and a lot of the emails this week as well were again the drive to uh, survive generation now i consider myself very lucky because i grew up uh, with formula one my dad he was a formula one fan he used to go to silverstone and brands hatch and places like that in the 60s to watch uh, formula one and other racing got to see a lot of the greats uh, from from that era so i've been lucky to grow up with it but you know, on the same, you know, like on the other hand, I still can't help but, but feeling I've missed something. I feel a little bit jealous now that I'm not part of like, it's like the drive to survive generation. It's a real thing, you know? Yeah, I completely agree. And, and you know, it, it's kind of funny, right? Like you and I got into the sport back in the kind of the late 80s, the early 90s. And and yeah. I think a lot of our listeners that are part of this drive to survive generation, they they may hear this name, Bernie Eccleston. And Bernie until 2016, 2017, when Liberty bought Formula One, he was like the head honcho. He owned a huge stake in the sport, but he oversaw everything. And he was absolutely adamant that he did not want to engage with social media, that all of the F1 content had to be paid, had to be behind a firewall. And he was also very clear that his target demographic, it wasn't us, it wasn't millennials, it wasn't 20-year-olds, it wasn't 30-year-olds. He wanted to chase those high-heeled, yacht-driving, Rolex-wearing, kind of super rich crowd. And if you look back at some of the, the sponsorships adorning the track five, 10 years ago, you would see a lot of that. And when Liberty came in, they're like, no, we need to totally reset this. We need to engage with social media and we need a mechanism to bring a huge wave of new fans into the sport and that's what drive to survive really did mm -hmm. and you know I, I saw a tweet last night and and i retweeted it um but 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 it was from matt gallagher at wtf1 and he basically said drive to survive is the best thing to happen to f1 in recent times you yep. will never change my mind and i completely agree nothing that could have happened on the track would have mattered if people weren't watching but now people are watching so Fantastic, but totally agree. Well, you know, it's funny because, I mean, uh, Drive to Survive Season 3 comes out on, what, March 19th or something? Yeah. So just uh, two weeks from now. And we, we've watched the 2020 season. We've digested it. We've gone back and rehashed it. We've talked about it a lot on this program. I'm excited to go back and watch it again now and drive to survive <laughs> for him. You know, I, I just feel like I, I need to do it justice and, and binge watch all right. three, uh, you know, the previous two seasons and get it to, to, to season three. But uh, certainly very, very cool. And it was interesting, too, uh, just uh, going through the different generations of uh, Formula One fans. So the email we had from Shauna Campbell, she's a new fan to, to Formula One. And uh, she was saying that her partner's uh, family, they're big Williams 
uh, McLaren, they, they got like a big rivalry. And that to me kind of really is a throwback to like the late 80s and early 90s, Williams Honda, McLaren Honda. So I don't know, she didn't specifically say, but that kind of like, that was what the, you know, the big rivalry was back in in those days. And Sean has gone a little bit easy and she acknowledges that uh, she's made it difficult for herself uh, by choosing to cheer for Haas. But I give her credit because she's t- decided to go against the trend from the rest of the family. And I love the, uh, I love the black sheep attitude, the dare to be. She may not be cheering for Haas after today, man. She may not be cheering for Haas after today. But yeah, kudos, kudos for latching onto a team. And that's exciting too, because you get to forge your own Formula One identity, right? So rather than just embracing a team that's kind of embedded in the the kind of culture of your family, you can kind of kind of start your own path, which is pretty cool. Which is something I've always done. So I, I, you know, I feel a certain kinship to uh, to to her and uh, her mentality to 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 uh, to be different from the rest of the family. So totally, Mark, let's do it. We're going to we're going to borrow a little bit here because it's March. March Madness is a massive, it's one of the greatest tournaments in sports as far as I'm concerned. So we're going to do a little bit different. We're not obviously going to talk about NCAA basketball, but we're going to borrow the bracket idea and we're going to apply it to the Formula One grid because basically all the teams except for Ferrari, which is going to be red, um, they've released all their cars, <laughs> they've had all their launches and... Uh, I really like it. It feels like a like even though the, the the cars are the same, they're different. I mean, underneath they're basically the same with the little tweaks, but I like how there's a lot of radical new ideas going on with the with, with what's on top, like on, on the bodywork itself. I think a lot of these cars look really really great. Yeah, I totally agree. And and I thought, you know, we 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 haven't done a great job of of talking about the car launches over the last couple of weeks and we keep inching closer and closer to the season. We're like what 21 days away from like three weeks away from from the first race weekend like it's absurd how close we are but we haven't done a great job of kind of looking at the cars and commenting on the cars and I think we commented a little bit on the McLaren launch a couple of weeks ago because that was the first one and it was kind of a little bit splashy and and it was kind of a little bit novel but we haven't really talked about Alpha Tori and Red Bull and some of these other brands so the thought was why don't we just put this into a bracket we kind of walk our way through the bracket and then ultimately we end up with a final winner like hey this is our favorite car um if you follow us on Twitter and you totally should. We actually posted the bracket a couple of days ago. So if you want to go back and take a peek, you can. And what we also did is we posted a bunch of polls. So as we work our through the way our way through the bracket, I'll also be able to comment on the cars that our listeners chose. Now I'll be honest, I'm not a mathematician, despite what my university degrees may suggest. Um, and one of the things I really struggled with is I couldn't wrap my head around the concept of a 10 team bracket. And I basically had this big wall up and there was string and there was ink and there was black and white photos of people on the street and like I was trying to piece together how I could possibly create a 10 team bracket and then I finally just googled 10 team bracket and it's like you have to have two playing teams so I'm like oh you gotta have two playing brackets so that's what we're gonna do and I think we kick this off then so ultimately the intention of the bracket is we're gonna keep pitting teams against each other we'll pick a winner until we finally get to the two final teams and we'll decide like hey collectively which is our favorite looking car and to your point some of this is just kind of initial impression on the car. Some of this is what we know about the changes, but just kind of a high level snapshot of our initial impressions. And I've got a little bit of commentary for each of the cars, talking to some of the highlights in terms of tweaks and changes and things like that. But high level, this is just kind of first impression. It's it's not about the drivers. It's really not about anticipated performance, but just kind of our initial impression. So having said all of that, we have two play in brackets to actually get into the tournament. So Alpine, F1, Haas, 
And then in the other play-in bracket, we have Alpha Romeo and Alpha Tori. So there's eight teams that have already, two, four, six, eight teams that have already basically, or six teams that have already kind of made their way into the tournament, but these four teams are going to play their way in. So what we're going to do right now is start with the number eight and the number nine seeds. So okay. we are going to put pit Alpine F1 against Haas F1. So this one's kind of interesting. Um, I will share right off the top because I think we're probably going to land in very much the same place that when we put this one in the poll mm -hmm. on Instagram, resoundingly 100% of our listeners, and we'll get to why in a few seconds, chose the Haas car. Sorry, didn't choose the Haas car, chose the Alpine car, <laughs> and we'll get what? to that. Okay. <laughs> so your initial gut reactions between these two cars. Let's start with the Alpine car. So the A521, um, it's, again, at least cosmetically, visually, it's a huge overhaul on last year's Renault, in part because they've changed the branding. Your initial impressions on the A521 by Alpine. I really like it. I I, I like the uh, you know the, the traditional racing blue that they have on it, but I also like how the, on the back of the the, the bodywork on the back of the engine cowling, it's got the uh, the, you know, the the A and the red and a bit of the white. So I mean, you've got not only the traditional French racing blue, but you got the white and the red in there for the you know the French flag. So I I like it. I think it looks uh, really good. It's a nice metallic -y blue. It really seems to me it, it's it's a nice rich deep color. I like it. I think it's a, a very very nice looking car. And you know. I, I think totally it, agree. It, it it looks pretty good to some of the mock-ups and some of the some of the leaked photos uh, that that we saw and some of the teasers. So I think that uh, it, it lived up to the hype. So I, I'm going with the with the Alpine on this one. I, I like it. Yeah, so do I. I. I totally agree. I love the fact that they're really embracing the the French heritage. Like that delivery is really based around the colors of the French frags. In, in terms of of the car itself. Um, it isn't a significant, from a technical perspective, it's not a significant upgrade over the Renault RS20. Again, this year's kind of a stopgap until we get to 2022 when mm -hmm. we see the total overhaul. Very similar outline, very similar side pods. Um, obviously, the floors change based on the new, uh, new regulations. The nose is similar. The front wing is similar. So cosmetically and structurally, it's not fundamentally different than last year's car. Mm -hmm. Obviously, from a visual perspective, it's totally different. Now, the Haas car, and, and I just want to comment on this one real quickly because this car is stirring up a ton a ton 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 of controversy I, I think the first thing is that like the Alpine Haas has made a very conscious decision not to spend their tokens and not to spend any money on the car they're putting whatever resources they have at this point into the 2022 car where the controversy erupts is the livery mm -hmm. and and at first glance like yeah it's okay it's white it's red it's it's blue but when you look a little bit closer you realize that's the russian flag yes. and, and that's complicated for a couple of reasons one because at least, at least as we understand it, Gene Haas is an American who wanted to bring an American team to the sport of Formula One. Two, we know that Mazapan and his father injected a ton of money into this team. His father's company, Yurikali, which is also now the principal sponsor and naming sponsor of the team, um, has its branding all over the car. But what's also complicated about this is that uh, the WADA WADA, um, in partnership with the IOC, um, had levied a decision in December um, through the Court of Arbitration for Sport that Russian athletes effectively can't compete under the Russian flag for two years. So Mazapan actually can't have the Russian flag on this car because the Russian Automobile Federation and in turn FIA recognized the outcome of the results of that um, court decision. So one of the ways they seem to have got around this is basically like, hey, we can't have the Russian 
Russian flag. Let's just make the entire livery the Russian flag. And there was a little bit of pushback, like, no, no, that's not what we're doing. But I found an interesting tweet the other day. So the company that actually designed this livery is a company called Brandon Saber Design. They're a design house. And they actually posted it and said, hey, look what we did. This is our new livery. And they got destroyed. But one of the people that posted says, um, who are you to put the flag of a totalitarian government on, on your car? And he's <laughs> wow. like, he's like, that's just what we were asked to do. Yeah, so he, he didn't de- decline it at all. So yeah, very, very strange that you have this American car wearing a Russian flag across its livery. And ultimately, they may have to completely overhaul it before the season begins. But like our listeners, totally agree. Haas, you're out. Alpine, you move on to compete against Mercedes. Next bracket, I'm going to let you go first here. So seven seed versus this eight ten seed. We have Alfa Romeo Racing against number 10, Alfa Tori Honda. Yeah, th- this is a little bit uh, tougher to, uh, to 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 get going here on this one here because if you look at the the Alpha Tower, what I really like about it, it's simple. It's sort of this dark navy blue with the white, the white wheels, which I think look really really good on the car. It's got the red uh, on the uh, on the side pods for for the Honda. You know, it, it's 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 nice. It's not too busy. It's got the big Alpha Tower uh, logo on the side of the airbox. I think it's a nice uh, looking uh, car. If you, the sorry the ATO two, but then if you go and uh, you look at the uh, the Alfa Romeo, I think this is a nice looking car as well. It's sort of the, this ready maroon uh, and and the white on the on the uh, on the rest of the bodywork with some black trim. Yeah. It's 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 a nice uh, looking car. You know, it, it it's kind of difficult to, to to pick one, but I'm going to give the slight edge to Alfa Romeo on this one. Yeah, I, I, I do as well. Um, the A202 from Alpha Tori, very similar. So structurally, cosmetically, not fundamentally different than last year's AT01. Um, they've chosen not to make a ton of changes. Mechanically, the rear of the car is completely different. They did invest both of their tokens in the front. So if you, if you kind of compare the two cars, you'll notice that the front suspension is very different. The front wing is very different. Um, and in turn, they had to do quite a lot of work on the steering geometry and the steering components. Um, but ultimately, it's, it's not fundamentally that different from kind of the the driver um, cockpit backwards and ultimately the design isn't great you did make a comment that you didn't mention now which i'm kind of surprised about is that i love the white wheels hmm. the white wheels to me harken back to the the import tuner days of 20 years ago when people would be rolling around in their 2000 electron blue honda civic sir with their <laughs> white 16 inch Vogue t37 forge wheels like i like that but ultimately i much 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 prefer the c41 that the color scheme is largely just kind of a revised or an inverted version mm-hmm. of what we saw on the C39, but ultimately very, very cool. Now, again, very similar to Alpha Tori and a couple of those other teams that we spoke to. No real significant fundamental changes, but like our listeners, I agree. Alpha Romeo goes forward. They're going to compete against Scuderia Ferrari and Alpha Tori. You're out. All mm. right, let's go through that, the first that's, bracket. That's a bit of a tough one because the Alpha Tower is a nice car. And the other thing is, too, they basically like uh, they, they've inverted the colors from last year, which is predominantly white uh, with, with the yeah. navy blue trim on. They're still nice uh, looking cars. OK, so we move on now to round number two or basically the quarterfinals. You know, it, right. it, it gets to the it, it gets serious pretty quick when you only have 10 three teams to go through. <laughs> but there you go. <laughs> OK, so w- where do we kick it off now with the. Uh, the, the winner from the, the Alpine and uh, Haas go up against uh, Mercedes AMG F1. Absolutely. That's, I that, think that's where we go. So I'm going to let you share. I've got some thoughts, but I'll let okay. you share your thoughts first on the Mercedes. So now Mercedes versus Alpine. 
Yeah, the the, the Mercedes. Uh, you know, honestly, I think that uh, they've uh, they've hit another home run with the the, the car this year. Uh, I I really loved the the idea that they switched to, to the black livery for last year. But I mean, just basically, they you know. It was kind of a last-minute thing, all the part of the the, the Black Lives Matter thing, and uh, you know how Lewis really took a stance on that. So I mean, they just basically replaced the black or the silver with the black, and then just uh, put everything over top. But now this year, it's it's a little bit evolved from that. It's predominantly black on the nose, the side pods, on the airbox, in the back of the engine cowling. You have some uh, that that sort of dark reddy maroon on the top of the airbox for their sponsors Ineos, and also the driver or the car numbers uh, on the back of the engine cowling uh, on the fin for um, the. Uh, 77 for Valtteri, 44 for Lewis in, in maroon. And then also on the back of the airbox, you have like the AMG uh, logos on there in like a white. It looks really, really, really good. And then of course you have that sort of that teal, the the, the coloring from Patronus down the sides of uh, the, the car, along the nose, around the cockpit, down along the airbox, and then the wheel rims, of course, that uh, sort of that teal. Multiple colors at play, but it looks really, really, really good. You know, I really like the uh, the the Alpine from uh, you know round one, but uh, you know, Mercedes. I think they've got a real winner here, and uh, you know, I, I don't know what everybody else is going to pick, but my pick uh, to move through from the, this uh, the, this matchup is the Mercedes, the W twelve. Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't have a lot to add in terms of your observations in terms of the cosmetics. The one thing that I was ecstatic about last year, and, and for those of that have been watching the sport for a while or haven't been, ever since Mercedes came back as a full-blown works team after buying the Braun team at the end of 2010, um, they've competed with a predominantly silver livery, and they've had some darker gray gradients and things like that. But last year, for the reason that you spoke to embrace the, the BLM, the Black Lives Matter movement, they went to what I, I, I expected was going to be kind of a one-year black, predominantly black livery and fingers crossed i really wanted them to carry it over and they did and it's so 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 good i i love everything cosmetically about the car um in, in terms of what we know about the design beyond the cosmetics and the livery there's still a lot we don't know and i don't think we're going to learn a lot more until the uh till the winter testing in Bahrain. What we do know is that the work they've done has really been a heavy emphasis on clawing back downforce lost to the new floor regulations. And we can talk about that a little bit more during our uh, during our preview show, but really they've spent a lot of time and a lot of energy uh, kind of identifying and addressing and tweaking the aerodynamic components of the car. Um, there's a shrunken engine cover, there's revised side pods, there's some slight modifications at the front, heavy carryover on the front and the rear suspension because I think they largely mastered that last year. The one thing that I know a lot of our viewers and listeners have picked up on is there's a very large bulge over the engine cover. Um, And James Allison says, and I quote, the sexy bulge, quote unquote, above the (laughs) side pod was hiding some of the work that... uh, that our friends at HPP have done to squeeze more horses into the PU. And I'll talk a little bit about that later because we also see that same bulge on the Williams and on the Aston Martin. Um, But ultimately, we won't actually see the full race spec F1W12 until Bahrain. So what we've seen so far is a watered down version, simply because like a lot of teams, they've got a lot cooking and they don't want to spoil that that secrets. They don't want the rest of the teams to know what's happening. But I totally agree. So for me, the team that's going to move on is the Mercedes. So Mercedes, Mercedes, you're moving on to the semifinals, which takes us to, and I'm going to let you kick this one off. We now have Williams with a heavily revised uh, livery going up against McLaren with a livery that's not fundamentally different than the prior year. 
And we'll certainly talk about that after we take our first break here on the show. So stick around and we'll uh, keep going with our March Mad- Madness bracket. I almost got that out in one, uh, one piece there. And we'll do so just after this quick break uh, and a word from our sponsor. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right. Well, welcome back to the show and all to, to all of you listening on the podcast and all of you uh, watching on uh, YouTube. Uh, Mark and Mark here, we are going through our March Madness Formula One bracket. And uh, we, uh, well, we've left it off now with our matchup in the quarterfinals between Williams and McLaren. Now, excuse me. Um, now, this is, well... <clears throat> I'm going to make it sound really easy because I, I've got my favorite out of the two here. So let's uh, let's uh, look at uh, the, the the Williams. So this is a t- team that now has new ownership. You know, it, it's basically a team that's uh, rebuilding from the from the ground up. But with the uh, the FW43B, I think that they've done a really really nice job. Like, excuse me, I think what they've done the past couple of years is that uh, it's it's been nice, but for my liking, it's been a little bit vanilla. And what they've done, they've spiced it up a little bit more. It's a it's, it's a little bit more. What do you want to call it? Um, I don't want to say abstract, but it's it, you know more mm. avant garde. You know, there, there's several colors at play. You've got the white nose on there. You've got uh, a little bit of yellow, a couple of shades of blue. Then you've got this sort of vertical, um, uh, sort of st- diagonal striping across the uh, the the uh, you know the, the airbox, the back of the cockpit, going over the engine cowling, back of the side pods, and going into the back of the engine cowling into the wings. This is like a dark navy blue or a black, and it looks really really good. And I think it also kind of works. You know what with having uh, you know Nick Latifi there, he's sponsored by RBC. I've just uh, noticed that there there's a t- <laughs> in with the Royal Bank of Canada colors there, but I think it's a, it's a decent looking car. But you know when you when you put it up against the McLaren, the MCL 35M, you have the uh, the basically the papaya on the top side of the car over the nose, the cockpit going onto the uh, the the airbox, the engine cowling, and then you have like this uh, metallic-y, uh, the metallic blue color as well, which I think uh, really looks really really good. And then you have the Gulf uh, sponsoring, which is kind of a throwback to you know days gone by, long before uh, you know either of us were were Formula One fans. But I just love the fact that, uh, and I'm I'm a sucker for this in any sport. You know, I, I love teams that go with traditional colors, and you know there's always like a modern twist on it but i like when you stay with like the 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 modern colors i mean when it comes to like our local hockey team the vancouver canucks i love those pacific northwest colors the sort of dark medium blue the greens the white it's very pacific northwest and that's why i really really like the 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 the, the mclaren i mean the, the williams gets great don't get me wrong but that papaya is just so so sexy it just really really looks good 
Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, you know, one of the things that I, I've started to pick up on with the, the FW43B, the, the new Williams competitor, is I actually do love the design. In fact, I thought the design of the past two years were kind of they were tied up with Rocket for a year and a half yeah. before Rocket yeah. bailed halfway through the season. I thought that design was garbage. I, I thought it was under-designed. I didn't think it was time. I th- there was no timeliness to it. It was one of those designs that was going to date very quickly. It felt very interim, very rushed, very low cost. This to me mm-hmm. seems more permanent. And if you look at the, if you step back and you look at the FW43B, one of the things you'll notice is especially with those yellow accents, it harkens back to the Williams of the mid-90s when mm-hmm. they were winning titles. Now, for me, that's a little bit problematic because again, that was a tie-up with a tobacco manufacturer that kind of brought that white <laughs> the blue and the yellow but ultimately i'm really really impressed with the car um in terms of construction it's not fundamentally different than the 2020 car which unfortunately isn't fundamentally different than the 2019 car but they they have done a couple of things so there's some subtle reworking um they've done quite a lot of work around the side pods they've done quite a lot of work around the engine cover area um again that's largely to accommodate the new mercedes m12 epu um they've had to do some work around the floors again that's more kind of regulation driven um it is believed and i should mention this as well that the bulge that we're seeing around the engine cover the side pods on the mercedes the aston martin and the Williams, it's believed it's to accommodate a new variable inlet system that mm-hmm. Mercedes's HPPU unit developed during the off season. So apparently that's supposed to crank up the horsepower and make power more available on demand. So that's pretty exciting. Um, this, they, they've got largely the same front suspension, the same nose is retained. The front wing is, ring is revised pretty significantly, but then it's been revised largely to um, accept the challenge that is presented by the reduced downforce from the changes to the reduced floor uh, coverage. But overall, I think it's an exceptionally good looking car relative yep, where absolutely. they've been. Yep. The, the Mercedes and the M MCL 35M, gorgeous. Absolutely, Absolutely yeah. gorgeous. I love the orange, the papaya, because I, I can't pronounce that word, papaya, right? Yeah, papaya, yeah. <laughs> it, it's beautiful. The M at the end of MCL 35M stands for Mercedes. This is the first year since 2014 that they're going to run a Mercedes engine after a stint with Honda and then a shorter stint with Renault. Um, ultimately, this team has had to massively revise the back end of this car, spend all of their tokens, spend all of their money to accommodate a completely fundamentally different power unit. Um, By all accounts, they've done an exceptionally good job. They spent both of their two permitted power units just to get that power unit into the back of the car. The rear of the car is vastly different as a result. We have to talk about revised aerodynamics and suspension and all those different kind of components. The front wing and the front end is very, very similar. Now for me, and I think there's going to have to be a tiebreaker, I can't vote for the MCL 35M because of the better tomorrow tie-up. I can't vote for them because of that tobacco tie-up, but... I think we're going to have to have a tiebreaker here. And the tiebreaker is going to be which of these two teams scored more championship points last year. Well, that that's obviously a McLaren, but you know, you know, the, the, whatever that was, the better tomorrow thing, at least they've gotten away from, you know, the MP uh, label yeah. of their cars, the old Marlboro project that went totally. back to the, the, the Ron Dennis tie up and everything like that. So, I mean, you know, it's like the, the whole wish and mi- mission win now thing that uh, Ferrari has going on. But yeah, totally. I mean, the, also just uh, before we we move on from the, this pairing, the other thing I like too with the, the, the Williams is like that diagonal striping, that sort of transitional thing on the side of the car behind the cockpit. And I also like how they've sort of worked in onto the top of the airbox behind the cameras is the that stylized W that the Williams yeah. team has a logo. I think that looks uh, 
pretty, pretty cool. But I yeah. hadn't actually noticed that until you mentioned it. <laughs> well, look, you know, at first glance, it doesn't really, uh, you know, at least from from the, uh, the the press photos, it might be completely different when we see it on the track. But they're 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 both very very nice cars, and I, I think you know, going with the tiebreaker with the championship points, I think that's a fair way to decide that one. So let's uh, move on to our next uh, bracket. I, I don't even think that this is a contest. Next totally. uh, ma- matchup is uh, Aston Martin against Red Bull. Let's, well, sh- shall we discuss it? <laughs> I think we need you know, to discuss let, let it. Me, let me just get the Red Bull out of the way, and then I'll sure. let you lead with the Aston Martin. So the RB16B is a mildly, so based on what we've seen so far is a, one, delivery is garbage. I'm sick of this livery. We've seen it for the entire run of the team in the sport. Um, there's there's nothing to comment on here. It's the same yellows, orange, reds, dark navy blues. It's a matte finish. It's not glossy. Fundamentally, it looks like every other Red Bull that's come before it. Thank goodness they've moved away from the pinstripes that they had at the earlier part of the last decade, mm, but yeah, fundamentally yeah. nothing's changed. They're calling yeah. this the RB16B rather than the RB17. There will be no... RB17. So next year, when we go to the Red Bull branded power unit, they're going to skip ahead to the RP18. Um, largely the same. The one thing that's very unclear right now is what the final spec's going to look like. So the photos that have been shared so far are interesting because one, they've been heavily doctored with a lot of very dark areas as the team's working to conceal a lot of the aerodynamic changes that they have they've made. And interestingly, when they did a filming day at Silverstone a couple of weeks ago, they had the both the RB15 and the RB16B on the track, but the photos that they released afterwards were only of the RB15, the 2019 car. So they're going above and beyond to conceal what the final product looks like they're they're desperately trying to conceal it now it is understood that they've significantly reworked the rear suspension to adopt the mercedes style track rod lower arm configuration that uh mercedes had for a couple of years now but so far we don't know anything about it but from an initial appearance perspective blah Nothing here appeals to me. I'm sick of this design. I'm ready for them to try something new. Well, you know, I, I think it, it completely can be summed up by the tweets that they put out at the launch was same but different. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this this is from Red Bull themselves. And I mean, you know, like, like I was saying just now, like I, I love the traditional tie-ins and things like that. But, you know, like you say, we, we've same, seen the same variation on this for far too many years. And, you know, we, we've even seen it watered down to a certain extent with the uh, Taro Rosso. I mean, when they rebranded yeah. to AlphaTauri last year, I mean, you still see that, but at least they're kind of doing a bit of a, you know, that's different now. I know it's the clothing line compared to the energy drinks and whatnot, but I mean, you know, guys, you're a major Formula One team. You're yes. so innovative, innovative yes. in so many other aspects, you know, apply that to the, you know, the, you know, I, I'm all for branding and whatnot. That's fine. But, you know, <laughs> let's be a little bit more, uh, you know, unique, a little bit more creative uh, for the, uh, the RB18 uh, for, for, for next year. I just I want to add one thing real quick, and and sure. you because you're you're so passionate about football, soccer, um, and I think a lot of our listeners know probably know that having listened to you for a while in, in European football, I was always I was always struck growing up with how rapidly teams change their kit. Like it was every three years and it was every two years. And now you see teams evolving like and completely <laughs> transforming their kit every year. And at the end of the day, it's to drive merchandising sales. Of course, and yeah. over here in North American sports, that was a foreign concept. Like teams might have the same fundamental design for decades, but even over here now, the NHL, the NBA, teams have five sets of uniforms. They change them every year, but it's all driving around merchandising. And I think what we've seen in Formula One is that teams really innovate 
innovate, except for maybe Ferrari because they've got a kind of a, a traditional design and that's part of their branding and all that kind of stuff. But you see teams turning over designs very quickly because for the same reason, they want to sell merchandise. Mm-hmm. But Red Bull has been stuck in this this rut and maybe they're just comfortable with it, but I, I'm ready to see something different. And maybe next year when they go all in and they introduce the RB18, actually, you know, what? I'm going to put my money on it with the RB18 when they've got their own power unit. I would put money on the fact that they're going to try something fundamentally new, and I hope they do. But I'm, I'm, they're due for something. They're due for something. Well, you know, just to, to maybe go off on a bit of a tangent and build what uh, what what, uh, what you're just uh, saying there, just about North American Jeez, teams. That's what we do. So you know, when it comes to the branding, the colors, and everything like that, let's let's take the Toronto Raptors. They came into the NBA mid '90s. The Raptors, great name, but the tie-in was very Jurassic Park, very mid '90s. The sort of pastel-y colors and things like that, and the very cartoonish dinosaur. Exactly, but now you you know, you move forward two decades. The color that they've the, the colors that they've gone to like that nice deep red, very simple. And I've always thought that one of the best uniforms in in sports is the Chicago Bulls. You know the white, the red, the white, the yeah. black trim, and the Raptors have done something very similar. And I, I I always think that there's something very very appealing in in simple with proper accents, a nice solid color. And I think the the the, the Raptors are a uh, you know a perfect example of a team that has maybe evolved in uh, and really come to understand that better over the years. Now, you know, we go away from a Red Bull and you come back to a team or c- come to a team now that's back in Formula One after what, 61 years or something? Yep, 60 yep, years, 60 baby. 60 years. And it's the Aston Martin, the AMR 21. I love the naming. I love it simple. You know, it's uh, it's it's nice and easy to, uh, you know, <laughs> to remember rather than just to sort of a build on to every uh, year. I mean, like uh, you have with the Williams, the FW43B or whatever it is uh, this year. But anyway, Anyways, what I love about the Aston Martin, they're they're playing on history. They're keeping it traditional. This beautiful, beautiful uh, British racing green with like the metallic finish to it. You know, it's got the nice sort of pink, uh, you know, uh, highlights on it with the BWT sponsoring. You know, the majority of the, uh, the, the the advertising on there, the the, the 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 main title sponsor, Cognizant, that's white. You know, I, I think it's just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful looking car. It's got some black on there as well. I think it. I think it looks wonderful. It's, this is. It- one of this this is for me one of the ones that should have been fast tracked right through to the final rounds but you know due process and all right yeah, due process. I totally agree. And, and if you've been listening to the show over the last couple of months, we've been waiting and counting down. One, because we wanted to see the merch, and two, we wanted to see the car. And and it's it's funny because everything that I wanted it to be is what the end product is. And what's really curious about the design is you're going to pick up on the fact that despite the fact that it's predominantly this beautiful, rich, kind of vibrant and not too dark, not too fern, British racing green, there's some beautiful pink accents. Those pink accents that you're actually seeing in the photos and on the merchandise right now are actually lime. So we'd reported, reported, we stole information from the web (laughs) that BWT was in negotiations with Haas and Williams up until a couple of weeks ago. And then apparently those negotiations fell apart and they went back to Aston Martin. They signed a deal, but the team had already produced all their merchandise and shot all their catalog photos. And all of the photos of the cars that were shown on the launch day were already taken. So that pink strip was originally lime and they had to go and open up the Adobe um, creative suite, change (laughs) it to pink. But I love the pink. I love everything about the car. And I, I think from a technical perspective, the other major consideration here too, is that this is despite the work that McLaren had to do, this is 
considered the most technologically and technically evolved car of the 2021 grid, massively overhauled. Um, it's a dramatically different car than the RB20, which unfortunately was a kind of a carryover from 2019, which was a massive carryover from 2018. This is a, a significantly reworked car, massively revised front wing, front nose, new side pods, new radiator inlets, massively changed barge boards, the floors, of course, the rear wing. Um, they were allowed to do a token-free upgrade to the 2020 Mercedes rear suspension, which they did, um, but ultimately they continued to invest everywhere else in the car. And one of the most noticeable things you're going to see once we start getting this car on track is it has the same bulge on the engine cover and the side pod to accommodate that variable inlet valve system that the HPP team has designed. Overall, this car is total fire. It's yep. classic. It's traditional. It's everything I want it to be. And the only thing I'm disappointed by is I've rushed to buy merchandise and it's as expected. F1 merchandise is notoriously horrendously expensive, um, especially for Canadians because we have to pay duties and shipping and all those kind of things. This car is absolute fire. It moves on to the next round. No questions Absolutely. asked. Absolutely. Just before we And I'll move say as well, our listeners, again, 100% voted for this over the Red Bull. Yeah, and so they should. I mean, it, uh, it's, it's not even a contest in my opinion. But the other thing that I just wanted to mention before we move on to the next, uh, the, 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 the next matchup is that when you see some of these uh, press photos for the different cars, exactly, you're just holding it up there uh, you know, for, for people to see on YouTube. But uh, the, the one thing I find that's uh, more apparent uh, compared to, say, the Mercedes and the, uh, and the McLaren that we've looked at so far is the side view, that bulge on the, the side of the cowling is much more apparent in these press photos for the for, for the. Aston Martin compared to the others. I know it's lighting and everything like that, but it is rather prominent. It's it's probably about 18 inches to two feet long yeah. and probably about six, well, I'd probably say about eight inches wide and who knows how far it uh, sticks out. The depth is kind of hard to estimate, but it's it's quite obvious on the uh, the, the Aston Martin. Totally. All right. So I we move on. Do we have time for another? Actually, we should probably take a break, I'm guessing, right? We're probably overdue. Yeah, let, let's take one more break here, and then we'll move on because we got this one bracket, which I think is going to be a simple one to do, and then we're on to the semis. So let's take another totally. quick break here on the Overtime Media Network. You're listening to Scootery F1, Mark Daly, Mark Hamilton, and we'll be back in just a minute to keep uh, going on with our March Madness. So don't go away. We'll be right back. All right. Well, welcome back to the show here on the Overtime Media Network. We are borrowing heavily from the NCAA and our own version of March Madness. We're counting down and ranking the best-looking cars that have been released uh, so far for the for the Formula One 2021. Not not ready to say that uh, yet. 2021 World Championship, which gets going in just under three weeks, and can't wait for that for that. Okay, so we're now basically down to the last pairing, and then it gets really really serious. We're off to the semis. So the last pairing we have is the 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 Ferrari. And the uh, the 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 Alfa Romeo, and uh, well, you know the Ferrari. They haven't officially done their release yet, but you know you can always bank on it. It's it's going to be red, and uh, based on what we've seen over the past couple of years, we're going to make an educated guess that it's going to be very very similar to to, to last year's car. Mark, what, what do you want to add to that? Nothing. You know, we don't know a lot about the car. We we still honestly don't know a lot about the power unit that they're going to be running or the power unit that they're going to be supplying to Haas or Alfa Romeo. But I think really the question is, is it going to have a glossy finish or are they going to go matte? That's about all that really matters. I mean, I think that the, the Ferrari designers really have to work within some really strict brand guidelines and they don't have a lot of room to take creative liberty. So I think generally we have a pretty good idea of what it's going to look like. Yeah. It's going to be red and there's going to be a splash of black and a splash of, of yellow. That's about it. Well, you know, 
know the thing that uh, that looked really really good was that uh, the, the 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 paint scheme that livery that they adopted for the thousandth Grand Prix at Mugello last year. Right. That that real scarlet blood red. That that was you know if you said the the Aston Martin was fired that was fire. But I mean now, totally. nowadays you have the more sort of that orangey kind of red, which you know is, I guess you could say is still a tie into the the whole Philip Morris yeah. Mar- Marlboro thing. So you know I you know. As much as I like Ferrari, and I think that that uh, paint scheme, even if it's got the lighter color, not the traditional uh, scarlet, maroon, red, whatever you want to call it, I'd have to say that I'm going to give the edge to the uh, to the, uh, the, the the Alfa Romeo. I'm just going to be different. I'm just going to give it. To, I'm going to give it to Alfa because I don't think Ferrari should just get an automatic pass because they're Ferrari. Yeah, I t- unfortunately, we agree. Um, <laughs> so there hasn't been a lot of controversy in the bracket so far outside of the uh, the better tomorrow comment. But but ultimately, I just. I think it's it's a beautiful car. It's a timeless design. Um, they they made some changes. Uh, yeah, I, I really do like, and I, I've been very happy, not necessarily with the performance of the Alfa Romeo um, experiments since they kind of partnered up with uh, the Sauber, the Swiss Sauber team, but I do think it's a beautiful, timeless car. Uh, and for me, I would give it the edge simply because they continue to evolve on a really strong brand identity. I love the branding on the engine cover, on the rear side pods with the snake. Like it, to me, it's a beautiful car. Um, and I would absolutely, which means we move on to two semifinal brackets. We're going to see McLaren against Mercedes and we're going to see Aston Martin against Alfa Romeo. And I think I'm starting to get a pretty good understanding of what the final is going to look like, but I don't know because I can't read your mind. So I'm going to pass it off to you. We don't need to speak in detail about the cars because we've accomplished this at this point, but for you, McLaren versus their now partner, Mercedes. Yeah, as, as much as I like the uh, the, the McLaren this year, and I, I think that it's a you know it's a beautiful looking car. Like I said, uh, you know, in the previous segment, I really love that uh, papaya and uh, and the branding on. It. I think it looks really really good. I just think that the you know the, uh, the 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 Mercedes and that transition paint scheme that they have from the black to the silver to the gray and everything to sort of moving down the car. I, I think that uh, you know for me going through the semifinal number one, I think you have to give it to Mercedes. I I totally agree. I I love black cars. Black cars, especially black racing cars, are very, very difficult to pull off. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they've done an exceptional job. I think the green accents, I think the red Ineos accents. I love the AMG branding covering the engine cover at the yep. back of the car. That pattern, that AMG pattern, it almost looks like a camo pattern with that lighter gray gradient fading up to white towards the edge of the shark fin. To me, it's it's beautiful. Again, I think the McLaren's a lovely looking car. I, just, I struggle with that tie-up. And you're right, it's not as bad as a traditional uh, tobacco-based product push mm-hmm. I, I just i don't love that but to me even if that was in on that car i would still absolutely give the edge to mercedes which means that they go to the final final okay so that okay. that's semi-final number one semi-final number two puts the aston martin against the alfa romeo do you want to take this one or shall, shall i shall i lead it off Oh, are we even going to do this? I thought we were just skipping. I thought it was pretty much... I'll, I'll let you take it, but I I think you and I both probably are going to land on the same place. Yeah, well, you know, as much as I applaud uh, Alpha and I, I really like that the, the the scheme and the livery that they've gone with uh, this year, I think that the Aston Martin just looks too good. So I think that they uh, they obviously move right through to the uh, to the final, where we will now have the Mercedes Works team against the Aston Martin customer Mercedes team for the final. And I think that these are both two wonderful, really, really nice uh, looking cars. I don't know. You, you want to take it? Do you want to pick the winner? 
Yeah, so I, I think for me, um, and, and obviously, and, and again, I'm heavily criticized for being a Mercedes homer, uh, a, a Lewis, I was going to say LeBron James, but that's true, but <laughs> a Lewis Hamilton, a Lewis H- Hamilton homer, and I wear this hat, but largely because of convenience, because it's cl- it's near and my hair gets destroyed with a pair of headphones. I, obviously, I love the Mercedes. I, I love I love what they had evolved into last year when they took on that, that black identity and they tied it into the Black Lives Matter movement. So as far as the cars were concerned on the grid last year i think the mercedes was the best looking car i like the pink of the racing point but i always felt that everything racing point was doing was interim they they yeah. didn't want to invent they didn't want to invest in that identity because they always had a longer term picture they always had a long-term plan and racing point the name the branding the colors the livery even the fact that if you went to the racing point site there was no merchandise to buy they didn't want to invest in that identity because they knew it was temporary so i love the mercedes but for me the aston martin is is timeless it's clean. They've done such an exceptional job of working in the branding, their, their sponsorship branding components as well. I, I think oftentimes you have a great livery, but your brand partners, your sponsors aren't comfortable um, compromising their own branding identity. So sometimes you basically get this beautiful green livery or this red livery, but then you have a sticker on the car from one of your sponsors and it's in 17 different colors because that's their identity. Mm-hmm. I think they've done a really great job working with their sponsors, convincing their sponsors to do a white on green look. Again, there's an exception at the back with JCB, but I love it. I love the pink accents. For me, this is the best looking car on the grid. It's going to be the most identifiable car on the grid in a lot of circumstances as well. For me, Aston Martin wins. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's very identi- uh, identifiable, like you say, just like the Ferrari is. I mean, you know, you don't have to look more than half a second to figure out where one of the Ferraris are because that 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 scarlet red just jumps out of the uh, jumps off of the track at you. And I think that the Aston Martin is very, very much the the, the same thing. And you know, when when I heard that there was going to be this uh, continued tie up between the team and uh, and and BWT, I'm like, okay, well, you know, we we've seen this whole pink Mercedes thing. You know, now this is maybe morphing into the green Mercedes uh, conversation, but that's a different uh, discussion for different day but when i heard that they were going to continue to sponsor uh, aston martin i was just like well how's that going to work i mean obviously right. this car is going to be heavily british racing green they're pink i mean these are two completely polar opposites on the spectrum and uh but i you know i like how that they did it i mean if it was going to be this uh, uh british racing green and the lime green accents that would have been a very nice um you know uh, uh, paint scheme as well but the 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 pictures that we've seen that 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 pink that pink stripe that we see across the front wing down the side of the car very much uh similar to how uh, mercedes do it with that teal stripe uh, along the, uh, the the midsection of the car i think it looks uh, really really good and i've always been a big fan of this color and um i even had a british racing uh, green mg way back in the, in the day. So there, I was always going to be impartial, uh, you know, or biased towards uh, this one. And, you know, I, I, I hate for the fact that, uh, you know, we always agree with one another. I know that uh, the listeners are probably like, come on, you guys, you got to disagree and get into a really good, uh, you know, argument about something uh, for once. But I mean, the thing is, I mean, this, this is tough to argue against. It was I just mean, too obvious, this, man. This it was too obvious. Just, yeah. Yeah. I, I think I think if we debated this, it would come across as inauthentic and like they're just trying to have a hot take. <laughs> I, it, was just, it was too obvious. The one thing I will add is I actually think that there's going to be an even better looking car on the track at times this year than the Aston Martin. And that's that this year we're going to see a British racing green with the lime accents, Aston Martin safety car this mm. year. And it, again, we tweeted this. It looks ridiculous ridiculous especially with the safety car branding especially with the lights 
Beautiful. But yeah, I, I think it was just too obvious. And I think we could have pushed it and been inauthentic and kind of taken opposing sides. But ultimately, the Aston Martins is fresh. It's new. It's traditional. Um, it's classic. It's clean. Like every, every kind of stereotype that you could apply in terms of a branding kind of analysis, it's is beautiful. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, too, I mean, you, you mentioned it nicely just now, too, uh, the, the, the fact that Racing Point never really heavily invested in that. And Obviously, they made a big step forward last year. I mean, they had a much better year. They won a race, right. and they they were just a much more exciting team to watch. The car was better, but you know, the thing is, now that I've seen you know the the, the Aston Martin, I mean, I've been excited about this for the past uh, several months. But you know, now that I've seen you know they they've been teasing it uh, for the past uh, what six weeks, seven weeks, or basically since uh, since New Year's, and uh, now that we've seen the car, like I feel really excited about this. I, I can look at this. I, I I feel an immediate connection. I feel there's like an immediate uh, identity. I feel the connection to the history of the uh, of the, the name of, uh, of of Aston Martin. I feel like this is a team I could really get pumped up. I could really get invested in as a fan and, and cheer for. I mean, you know, the fact that uh, you know you. We're saying just now that uh, all the merch is sold out, and uh, you know the fact that you're you're willing to, to play the exorbitant uh, prices for for a t-shirt or a hat or a jacket just to get it shipped to to, to, uh, to North uh, North America really says something. But it is a, a really really good car, and I'm a really good looking car, and I'm really looking forward to uh, to see this. I mean, they, they've really done a lot of work to really set the foundations in in multiple areas i i, I really you know as, as much as i you know tend to be a zach brown fanboy for mclaren and uh, you know he's done a very very good job in his tenure at mclaren to really turn that team around get them pointed and headed in the right direction i think that maybe otmar safnauer is maybe a little bit undermentioned in these uh, conversations i mean sure you know, lance stroll is putting sorry lauren stroll is putting a lot of money into this team he's uh, invested heavily in the f1 project in the in the parent company in Aston Martin, I mean that that is a massive amount of capital that he's been putting into this uh, you know team off and on the track, right? But the thing is, th there still needs to be somebody, and as good as a businessman that Lawrence Stroll is, you need somebody that is a uh, you know more of an expert. I mean, Lawrence is uh, an expert in his own field, but uh, Otmar, you know, he's he's more of an expert on the uh, you know the the operations, the running of a Formula One team, and I think that maybe he may get overlooked in some of these uh, combinations. So I think you got uh, good ownership, obviously off the track i think you've got a good guy running the team on the track you've got a good uh, design team and uh, you've got a four-time world champion in uh, in sebastian vettel who safnauer says he really believes that they can get the best out of or at least they're they're hoping and of course the, the one real question mark uh, this year is how good is the car is it going to be better than than last year because the rp20 was a, a very very good car it certainly had its moments uh, last year but i think it really really left a lot of questions answered uh, because I think you could tell at times that it really needed a driver that was capable to take that thing by the scruff of the neck and and, and really put it through the the, the the ringer to really get it was uh, capable of. So, I mean, there are some questions about Sebastian Vettel just based on his past history over the, say, the past year and a half, maybe going back to the, the end of 2018. And then Lance Stroll, young guy, a lot of uh, questions about him. You know, he's good enough to be in Formula One, obviously, but... How how much better can he get, or is he has he reached uh, the 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 ceiling? So, I mean, we've talked about it uh, so many times, Mark, that there's so many questions and so many interesting threads to to look at and pull on for this year. But for me, I think Aston Martin is going to be one of the biggest ones to watch right from well, basically next week whenever we get to to, to winter testing down Bahrain. Yeah, absolutely. I, I got to say as well, I, I I own Mercedes merch just because when you go to a race, you you got to wear a little bit of merch, and it's it's easy to 
cheer for Mercedes because they do things the right way and they have a great leadership structure and they have great charismatic drivers, or at least in Lewis, it's easy to cheer for Lewis. And if you're a Lewis fan, it's easy to become a, a, a fan of Mercedes. But for me, I've never been able to truly identify with that team because I kind of jumped on the Mercedes bandwagon <clears throat> partway down their success journey. And for me, like when, when Lawrence Stroll came in and he bought a big chunk or he bought the majority chunk, the majority stake in Force India, like they were, they were relatively competitive relative to the resources that they had to put on the track. But all of a sudden, you had a Canadian that was buying in this team. So it was exciting to be able to jump into that journey at that stage. And it's been really fun to kind of cheer him along from a business perspective. And you make a great point about Otmar as well that I, I think one of the best things that Lawrence has done is look, I'm going to take care of everything from a business operations perspective. I'm going to build the brand, I'll invest in the factory. I'll give you the resources to do what you need to do. But the best thing that Lawrence has done is given Otmar space Mm -hmm. to manage the team operations. Like I will look after business operations, sponsorship, revenue. I I will leave you to look after team operations. And, And I think that's given him the space. And of course, with the infusion of the capital injection that he's been able to provide and all those kind of pieces, he's been successful. Uh, that said, I'm also now excited to actually own some Aston Martin F1 merchandise. The prices are killers, man. Like if you look at the site, it's like $72 US for sure. And when you factor in duties and shipping and all that kind of stuff, it's close to $150 Canadian to grab some of these stuff. I'll mention as well that they also have a beautiful three in one team jacket for $624 US. They have a sleeveless vest for 161 US, which would probably come out to 250 Canadian once it gets here. Um, And then a hat, an Aston Martin F1 hat is about $50. Now, this isn't intended as a criticism because all Formula One merch is notoriously expensive and notoriously low quality for the most part. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think they're going to make a killing this year. And I cannot wait to see what the grandstands, because you commented last week that uh, Silverstone is expecting a full house. And given the fact that almost half the population of that country, at least half the population of the, half the adult population is now vaccinated. That's looking more realistic by the day. I cannot wait to see how much green you see in the grandstands on race day at that event come June, July, whenever it is. Um, That's going to be exciting because I guarantee you there will be a sea of green and lime. Oh, I, I think they're going to be a, a big buy-in from the British uh, sporting public. I think that uh, that that this is like a marketing home run, especially if this is a uh, you know a, a you know, competitive uh, team. And though, just going back to Lawrence Stroll, though, and, and what you were saying about how he takes care of the the the, the business and leaves everything you know to 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 to, to Safnauer to operate. And let's face it, I mean, when when he came into Formula One, it was more like, okay, here's Lance Stroll. His dad's bought him into Formula One. Then he bought, uh, you know, bought into uh, Racing Point, and there's this. Okay, now he's bought a team for his son. But I mean, those are very. I, I think that's low hanging fruit when it comes to the criticisms and things like that. And slowly but surely, we've seen his plan evolve, and we've seen the buy into not only to Racing Point, but then uh, the the whole Aston Martin thing, and seen it unfold. I mean, in his other business areas, I mean, he's uber successful. He's a very wealthy man, very successful. And when it comes to things like that, you don't become that successful by being a micromanager. I mean, he has to do his due diligence, make sure everything's operating. But it's like I always uh, make that comparison about, or I'll make the compa- comparison now with uh, with the uh, McLaren. Zach Brown comes in as the CEO, appoints key people in key areas. Sure, you got to check in with them, make sure everything's going good, give them what they need to do, support them where needed. You're not going to be successful. If you're, you're Zach Brown, you're micromanaging everything that Andreas Seidel is doing, everything James Key is doing. 
and, and so on, right? And the same thing is going to work or not going to work in, in that example at Aston Martin. If you're Lawrence Stroll and you're sitting there basically looking over Safnauer's shoulder 24-7, it's, it's not going to go uh, good. So it, it's just fascinating to see where this is going to go. And uh, I really, really look forward to see how it's, you know, how it's going to go with their first outings on the track uh, for testing. And of course, how that translates to hopefully success, uh, you know, on the, uh, on the track. Right. And, uh, it's, it's just, you know, I can't talk about it enough or maybe I talk about it too much. It's just, um, it's just one of those stories. I just can't help, but constantly almost, uh, obsessing about. Yeah. And I think the only, the only criticism that I think is maybe even potentially remotely, um, relevant is that that wave of criticism that you saw in 2017 because remember initially uh, Lance Stroll was partnered up with the Williams team he came straight out of F3 where he won a yep. title he went into F1 in 2017 he did have a podium in a terrible car um obviously that partnership was really driven no pun intended by the fact that the Lawrence Stroll put a ton of capital into Williams and I think he realized pretty quickly that one maybe the team wasn't necessarily going to be for sale because I think he had an appetite to buy an F1 team even then um either he mm-hmm. didn't sense mm-hmm. that there was going to be an opportunity to buy that team or he sensed that the team was in such total disarray and he made some very public comments towards the end of 2018 that he wasn't satisfied with the with the outcome of the capital that he was putting into that team uh, I think he's done everything well and I think the criticism is like you know what he's doing this he's putting his son in a seat but at the same time his son picked up a podium in a terrible 2017 Williams car and you can be critical about 2018 but that car was an absolute non-factor on the grid 2019 I was disappointed with Lance I'll be very honest about that uh 2020 I I think we saw some we saw some low points but we also saw some incredible flashes the guy picked up two podiums he could have won a race should have won a race in Turkey if not for the front wing damage he qualified on pole in in Turkey in the right like he he's shown he's more than capable of being at this level. But having said that, I also don't believe that Lawrence Stroll is a bad businessman. Like a bad businessman doesn't build a business empire and put himself in a position where he can spend hundreds of millions of dollars US investing in a Formula One team and investing in Aston Martin, the road car division. Like ultimately, I don't believe that he's going to keep Lance in that seat long term if he doesn't believe he can compete. And I think this is, hey, look, you know what? I'm going to partner you. And we've talked about this before. I'm going to partner you with Sebastian Vettel because he's a world champion. He's a great guy. He's charismatic. He's willing to teach and coach and help you. And, and I think ultimately, if he puts him through this journey for a year or two and Lance is ultimately not the best driver for that seat and there's somebody else available, I don't think Lawrence is going to hold on to him. I, I honestly yeah. don't. I think I think there's a bigger picture here and is winning a title. And if Lance can help you do that, great. But if he's not going to help you win a title, I think he'll move on. Well, you know, that, that's a great point. And that's a perfect place to leave it because, you know, they, they've said this week that they are aiming to win a title within the next five years. Now, uh, I'll be honest, when I heard Renault say that, you know, Five years ago, yeah, six yeah, years yeah. ago now, after they took over the whole Lotus uh, project and rebranded, I, I have to admit that I, I fell for it. I felt that based on what we'd seen in the early 2000s, the double uh, world championships that uh, Fernando won in 2005, 2006, and based on previous success that they had in Formula One, I felt, yeah, I, I think five years is a reasonable time frame for them to get back to where they want to be or where they're aiming for in Formula One. That's to, to win races, get on podiums, and ultimately ultimately compete and win a championship. You know, however, you know, lofty aspirations in reality sometimes don't, uh, don't, uh, don't line up. And they've fallen far short of that mark now because they've been back in what, since 2014, 2015 now, 2015. right? Yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're beyond that five year window. 
and they only finally got their first couple of podiums last year for multiple reasons that we've talked about just because of the number of podiums that were vacated because Ferrari were so rubbish last year so yeah but you know when, on the flip side when I hear Aston Martin say that you know we want to c- compete for a title in five years I feel that there's a real kernel a real nugget of something there to build from just based on all these things that we've seen that this it's not like it's coming out of nowhere. There, there, there are signs that there are good things happening. You know, you've got good drivers. You've got a good car. We've seen flashes of the car. I mean, it hasn't obviously been without uh, controversy. I mean, they they had that, uh, you know, the penalty applied to, to them last year and all those rolling protests uh, after races through, what, the first quarter or third of the season. Right. But, you know, all that, uh, you know, notwithstanding, I mean, there's enough behind it, uh, you know, this team to make me think this is more than idle boasting or idle, uh, you know, wishful things. I, I really feel that uh, that that five years based on this group seems like uh, you know that something special could happen. Now, <laughs> whether or not that that happens, that uh, that of course remains to be uh, seen uh, how it plays out over the next couple of years. But uh, this is this is one team I'm very excited to watch over the next couple of years. And if they become you know the great disruptor, I think it would be a, I think it'd be a great thing for Formula One. Absolutely, yeah. I think that's all I've got. Okay. Well, let's take another uh, break here, Mark. Uh, we're we're going to come back. There are a couple of items uh, that were in the news this week that I, I want to run down and, uh, and talk with you. And uh, we'll do so here on our final break on the Overtime Media Network. So don't go away. We'll be back in just a moment. All right. Well, welcome back to the podcast. As always, up to speed with Formula One. And Mark, we've been through on the first hour. We've ranked the uh, the, the grid so far for 2021. Undeniably, undoubtedly, undisputed champion, at least in looks, is the uh, AMR 21. Hey, that's I remembered that. I, I'm, I'm ahead of the game if I can remember some of the car names. Uh, you know, this early on to the preseason. Anyways, there are a couple of things that uh, that I do want to talk, and maybe in interest of uh, brevity, maybe some of these ones, especially. Especially the sprint races, you know, this seems to be a kind of you know a discussion that won't go away. But there was a couple of things that really, I, you know, sort of stuck out of me. So one one of them was uh, well, first of all, I, I want to start with uh, Ferrari. So uh, first of all, team principal Mattia Bonato said that he's going to spend more time in Maranello this year uh, to to help focus on uh, next year, which I think is they're really ultimately targeting for a return right. to um, you know competitive or competitive. Uh, Racing. Uh, I mean, we, we talked about it last week that uh, perhaps the handicap that uh, was imposed on them uh, last year was this uh, this fuel map, which we saw, you know, with the, the other uh, Ferrari uh, cars. But, you know, th- that discussion, not, you know, aside, I mean, I think it makes sense for uh, Bonato to spend more time at, uh, back at the factory at Maranello if that's what they're really focusing on. I mean, uh, we, we saw him do that a couple of times last year. I mean, we're still slated for a 23 race season. Now, whether or not that ultimately comes to pass, I mean, I mean, we're still living in a pandemic. I mean, there is some light at the end of the tunnel here, but, you know, we're not sure if all these uh, dates and races are going to go off as planned. So perhaps it's going to be 23, perhaps it's going to be something less, but whatever it is, I think that uh, it's still ambitious. And I think that uh, if you're focusing that much on this big project, and I I think that, uh, you know, this big rebuild, I think that it makes perfect sense for him to spend more time in the factory and delegate some of these duties like he did in 2020. You know, we talked about this before, right? And yeah. and I don't think this is necessarily going to be an experience that we see relegated or unique to Ferrari. I, I just think ultimately, if you're going to have 23 or 24 or 25 
race seasons, it, it means that if the, the team principal travels to every one of those races, they will literally never be at the factory. And, and I think that these team principals and some of these other members of the leadership team, they, they need the ability to oversee what's happening at the factory and they need to physically be present to see the development of the cars. Because again, yep. for, for those that are new to the sport, the car that the team brings to winter testing in March is often fundamentally different than the car that gets rolled out at the end of the season. And sometimes it is, mm-hmm. but st- store or teams still have a, a lot of creative license to evolve the car throughout the season. And you know, you might show up at the first race of the season and realize we've got some major downforce issues and we need to start working on that within the constraints of the Formula One formula or guidelines. But but ultimately, I think we're going to see a lot of this. I, I just think Ferrari is going to be kind of at the pushing edge, but I think we're going to see more and more of this. I think Ferrari in particular is going to need to kind of push the envelope in this direction simply because they were a team that was so woefully uncompetitive last year and mm-hmm. that they need to be in a position where he's overseeing not only incremental updates to the 2021 car, but he needs to be at the pulse of the development on the 2022 car. I think ultimately there'll be a little bit of forgiveness in the world of Ferrari and Italy if they're not hyper competitive this year, because I think people understand that the penalty imposed by by Liberty and, and Formula One and FIA ultimately kind of, I would say, led to a really unproductive 2020 season and mm-hmm. possibly an unproductive 2021 season, unless the fuel map is uh, kind of freed up this year and they can kind of get some of that performance back. But ultimately, I think the expectations are exceedingly high for 2022. And Bonato and some of his other team have also commented about the fact that they expect really substantial performance gains and competitive advantages for 2022. So I think absolutely he's going to have to, but I think we're going to see it from other teams as well. Like if you're going to have a 23 or 24 or 25 race season, your, 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 your core lead leadership team members need to be able to split their time. And I think we're going to see this with all the teams where team principals will be absent and deputy team principals are going to have to step up and take over race weekends. Or as you see with Renault, they don't have a team principal at all, and they basically divide the uh, these uh, the, that role between totally. some of the senior management. I mean, Toto's even said the same thing, even going back to last year, that this new redefined role that he has within the Mercedes is going to give him the ability to stay away from some uh, some of the races. And you know, more to your point uh, with uh, Ferrari, I, I do agree that there is some room for f- uh, forgiveness in 2021. But I mean, even going back to last year, they've been even saying that they're targeting 2022 to a real return to competitiveness. And if we go into this time next year, and they hit uh, or they they come out flat in the first five half dozen races of the year. I right. think that uh, you know the the you know the, the Tafosi will be screaming bloody murder and uh, will be you know, calling for you know something drastic to be done. So I mean there is a lot uh, at, at stake to get it right uh, for for next year. But you know uh, Bonato was even uh, talking about uh, you know this year's car the SF twenty one. They, they feel that uh, a lot of the uh, the problems that they had in regards to uh, the straight line speed on the car that they had uh, last year has been. Uh, Fixed. I mean, that was the the down on power engine, which we you know we talked about uh, last week, and the, this so called uh, or rumored uh, fuel map that they had imposed on them as a penalty for uh, after 2019, but also the aerodynamics uh, were a problem. Uh, Bonato had to say, "quote I think that last year the main issue with uh, was the speed on the straight lines, not only with the power but also uh, both power and drag." We worked a lot both on the power unit and the car aerodynamics to reduce the drag of the car. And based on our simulations today, based on what we can see in terms of power output uh, from the dynos and drag of the car from the wind tunnel, I think we have recovered quite a lot of speed on the straights. So I'm expecting the speed not to be such an issue as it was. We hope it to, to be competitive, but we only know when we're uh, being in Bahrain because it's always relative to what the others are doing, end quote. And I think that, uh, you know, the, the whole, you know, the, the key point to be highlighted from that whole quote is exactly what I had in mind. 
mind when I first uh, saw this article come out was, okay, they may have um, fixed that straight line speed, but yeah, how does that match up uh, to everyone else? I mean, we saw that McLaren was really competitive last year. They got Mercedes engines now. We saw that, um, you know, Aston Martin and Racing Point last year, they were pretty good. So, you know, they, they've, they've obviously feel that they've improved the SF21, but how does it match up against everyone else? And it will be interesting. I mean, Testing is always a little bit uh, different because, you know, they're all doing different things at different time and uh, even practice is a little bit of, uh, you know, never a good indication. So, you know, we're going to have to take it with a bit of a, you know, a pinch of salt when we get to Bahrain, but certainly it'll be interesting to see what those lap times are going to be. So the SF21 is actually going to be on the track in five days, right? So yeah. uh, I believe the Ferrari is going to take the track Thursday, March 11th in Bahrain. Uh, they're going to be able to get, I think, 100 kilometers uh, of testing shakedown yeah. ready on that day. Embarrassingly, by the way, as we're talking, um, a, a friend just sent me an article. Um, and I, it's almost as if he knew what our topic was about <laughs> today. But he sent me an article indicating that Ferrari is expected to reveal a two-tone livery for the SF21. And it will be a combination of their traditional red and the darker red that was shown at the Tuscan GP last year. Oh, here we so go. that, that red that you like so much <laughs> may, and again, this is a rumor at this point, may make a reappearance on this car as a part of their permanent livery. So interesting. This, that is so but, disheartening because we haven't even finished recording the show and it's already completely irrelevant. It's obsolete. <laughs> it's obsolete. But you know, it's better, it's better that we can acknowledge it on the air than That's the listeners true. hear it and it's like, what the hell? Where are these guys? So at least we can acknowledge it on the air that maybe this is coming. Again, it's not official. It's not announced. We won't know for a couple of days, but but pretty interesting. Yeah, but let's wait cool for a bad rain. Like we're going to yeah. see this car on the track in five days, four and a half, four by the time most, three by the time most people download this podcast on Monday. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very curious to see. And I, what I'm particularly curious to see is if what we'd reported last week, which was inadvertently reported on a Twitch stream that they had an artificial restriction last year on their fuel maps, we'll know pretty quickly if they get that back. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, it was an interesting slip that Mikasalo made and who knows whether or not that that is actually the truth. But it was it was a, a really, really interesting thing to talk about because it really ticked off a lot of boxes when it came right. to kind of going through all the questions and all the speculation that we had about uh, Ferrari last year. But yeah, it, it, it's exciting. Like you say, we're going to see this car in just a couple of days. And, you know, if that uh, rumored kind of transitional livery works or it, it comes to pass, I think that uh, that that will be really great. Who knows? Maybe we'll have to do a revised bracket next week as well, <laughs> which would be kind of cool. Anyways, uh, I want to talk uh, just uh, quickly now about uh, Mercedes. Uh, Lewis feels going into this year that uh, you know the fact that he's only on a one-year deal is not going to be uh, a big distraction because he said uh, you know it's it's not his first rodeo, and uh, I, I don't think it's going to be a a big a distraction to him either. I, I think that Lewis is professional enough. I mean, he's what six-time world champion now. Uh, six, seven, I've lost track, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's so big, but I mean, the point is that, uh, I, I think that Lewis is going to get down and he's going to do what he needs to do each and every race, each and every weekend, every time he straps himself into the car. I think that, um, he, I know for a fact he's mature enough. He's professional enough. He's able to se separate what happens on the track from what off the track. And, and, and ultimately that stuff with the contract will or will not get sorted. And I think that uh, whatever the outcome is, I think that uh, what, whatever happens, I think Lewis will be accepting of that, uh, regardless if he stays with Mercedes for 2022 or not, and he goes on to do something else. Uh, you know, I, I don't feel that he's like a guy that kind of flies by the seat of his pants, that whatever the outcome is, is ultimately in his best interest. I, I think 
quite differently. You know, I, I agree with you that this is a guy that knows how to prepare for a Formula One Grand Prix weekend. Uh, I think his fitness, I, I think his nutrition, I think he surrounds himself with great people. Yep. He's in a very different place emotionally, psychologically, mentally than he was 10 years ago. And I, I think even he would kind of reflect back and say that, hey, some of those some of those final McLaren years were somewhat problematic. And I think that the transition to Mercedes in 2013 really let him reset his career. So I I think he's going to continue to show up every weekend. That said, I think it will absolutely be a distraction. And and I think it's going to be a distraction because we'll be talking about it. Every other podcast will be talking about it. He's Mm -hmm. going to be asked about it every single weekend at every single media availability. It's going to come up on the TV shows and it's going to be in print. Like people are going to be asking those questions and it's going to probably intensify if he's not necessarily in contention for the championship. And I still expect him to be, but I think if he's not in contention for the championship and his contract this year is the weight that we understand it to be, I think it will become a really hot issue. You know, if he's not going to be the champion this year and he's on the open market as a, as a free agent, I, I don't know what obligations that Mercedes would necessarily have to bring him back. Like you bring him back right now because you want to give him a hometown deal because he's helped you win six championships six constructors championships and five well six drivers titles at this point but ultimately this is also a business focused team and if they can get somebody in that seat that can do a a comparative comparable job for a fraction of the cost you you kind of obligated to do that for for your stakeholders and for the board at mercedes again again we're being i'm being far too speculative but i strongly expect that this is going to be a distraction and it's going to be a distraction if he's not as competitive as we expect him to be but i also think if he does run away with the title it will be equally as potentially equally as distracting because people will be asking the questions like hey he's winning the title this is number eight why isn't there an extension why aren't we hearing about an extension like it's he's in a no-win situation that one-year deal was problematic right from the beginning um i also don't think and we haven't seen anything to suggest otherwise but I, I i strongly believe that's not the deal he wanted i think he wanted to deal with options i think he wanted to deal with more security i don't think he's happy with this deal and i think he went in with a frame of mind that was a deal that was pre-covid and that wasn't necessarily available and whether mercedes is ever going to admit it or not i think that that russell performance in the sahir grand prix was problematic and and i think he also had no designs on initially returning for abu dhabi and i think his hand was forced because of the performance that Russell put in and the mm-hmm. fact that that would erode leverage that he potentially had. So again, a lot of this is speculation, but I think it's going to be problematic. And I think we're going to be talking about it a lot either way. Yeah, okay. I, I think you've raised some uh, good points there. So what, what I think is that he's not going to make it a distraction to himself. The distraction right. might be you know forced upon him because of the exactly. media, because of the fans. That Perfect. that makes uh, you know a complete sense there. And also, I, I think that uh, you know whether or not it does or does not work out, I think that uh, perhaps he. May, I, I totally agree. I don't think he got the deal that he wanted in this one year deal that he got for twenty twenty one, and he might not get the deal there. He might not get the deal that he wants for next year. But I think that. Uh, you know, wants and then being, you know, okay to either stay or move on. I think that he's able to maybe draw those lines and then be, maybe walk away from it. But yeah, it, it might not be what, what, what he wants. I think that would, would would really set the fire off on this thing. I mean, you know, we're, it's going to be percolating and bubbling underneath the surface all season. But say we get to July or something like that, and then all of a sudden they announce that they're going to give Valtteri Bottas a new contract, then that thing is just going to go to a whole new level of speculation and a whole new fever pitch because George Russell has said that uh, they've made 
made no promises uh, to him for for 2022 on a race seat, even though you know there's there, there's potential that either one or both of those uh, seats are open for 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 next year. I mean, the thing is that uh, that 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 opens a lot of questions. Is that uh, for, for Bottas if they give him another deal next year? The one one thing is that kind of makes you wonder is okay. Well, what's going to uh, go with the the, the long term, right? Because you can't tell me that if Lewis Hamilton comes back, that you're building long term around 31 year olds, you know, driver number two, Valtteri Bottas for the you know, the best team in Formula One. You know, it, they they might have a transitional period where they kind of look for the next best uh, person or the next best uh, driver to become the new you know the new golden child at uh, at Mercedes be the next uh, world champion. I just, uh, you know, I, I think that there's so many different things in play there. I mean, I still think it'd be a great place uh, for, for George Russell to go, uh, you know, whether or not uh, you, we could see kind of that sort of mentorship uh, kind of partnership between him and uh, and Lewis Hamilton, who's clearly now on the, you know, the the downslope of his career. I mean, you know, he's mid-30s now. I mean, you know, the 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 end is sort of in sight. I mean, you know, Kimi Raikkonen kind of proves us wrong that, uh, and Fernando Alonso, that there's like a hard age that, uh, you know, that uh, you'd have to retire by but i mean let's face it lewis has more years behind him in formula one that he has in front of him so at some point they're going to have to think about succession and 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 long-term planning so it really to me i think that is going to be the most fascinating thing is what happens and and you know when do these contracts get addressed when do they get announced do they do it sometime in the middle of the year you know do they announce bottas as kind of like a you know a pressure tactic uh, for for hamilton or, or or vice versa or you know announce that russell gets that seat for next year and make no announcement on on, on Bottas or Hamilton. I mean, it, it's fascinating. This is like, I totally agree on one aspect of what you said is this is something that people are going to be talking about all season long for, for what, because there's so many different variations on it. This is the most emotional we've been this whole podcast. And we're talking about <laughs> yeah. speculation, speculation, right? right? I think one thing that we do know is George Russell will not be coming back for a fourth season at Williams. That is not happening. I think it pains him and kills him that he has to get into that car every single weekend while he sees other young drivers like a Max Verstappen and a Gasly and the past couple of years, drivers like Alex Albon getting these opportunities in massively more capable machinery Mm -hmm. and winning podiums. Like I think this is the end of the road for him at Williams. And if Mercedes isn't going to open up a seat for him for 2020, two I, I think Mercedes have to let him go from their program like this is this will be the end of the road for Williams for sure yeah. we just don't know if it's going to be the end of the road for his Mercedes partnership I just I, I don't see Hamilton in a state of mind ultimately where he wants to nurture and take on the role that you and I or at least I believe that Sebastian Vettel has asked to be has been asked to undertake at, at Aston Martin my sense is that if Lewis Hamilton is in a racing car. It's because he has designs on a championship Mm -hmm. and he won't be in that car otherwise. I don't believe Lewis Hamilton will stay in the sport unless he believes in his heart of hearts that he can win a championship. I believe if he gets to a point where that seat is no longer available, he will leave the sport. He's got way too much going on outside of the sport to remain in an uncompetitive seat. But I also don't believe that he wants to take on the role of nurturing George Russell, who could compete with Hamilton. And again, we have a very small sample, but I think he would be equally as competitive 
of his Bottas in that seat, if not more so. And I don't think that's good for Hamilton's designs on potentially a ninth championship in 2022. So, so we'll see. I just, I don't believe that Russell will be back with Williams, whether he's with Mercedes, I don't know. And if he's not with Mercedes, he won't be part of that family anymore. Yeah. Well, it's come to the point now that they either had to have to put him into a Mercedes car or they have to sever those Mercedes yes, ties or else totally. he's, he's going to end up uh, like Esteban Alcon, who ends up uh, sitting out on a year because, you know, he, you know, there, there's no seats available right. and that, uh, that really tantalizing partnership that you have uh, as a Mercedes driver becomes like a big, uh, big anchor and then just, you know, handcuffs you and you can't, you know, you, you know other opportunities pass you by and uh, you end up uh, missing a year, which, which is a big deal. You know, even if you get like a reserve driver role, it's not a race seat. You're not out there doing what you want to do. And it's uh, just uh, not an ideal uh, situation. But sticking with uh, with Bottas, he said he's really focused on uh, what, what he called uh, extreme uh, winter training and uh, really fa- focusing on the mental side. And this kind of really feels like a throwback to uh, what was it? The, uh, the, the, the season, the off season between 2018 and 2019 came in 2019. He won that uh, the, the, the Australian Grand Prix. I mean, he really was impressive in that first race. And I mean, I don't want to disrespect uh, Valtteri. I mean, I, I think he's, uh, you know, a good driver. You know, I, I think he definitely is, uh, you know, a good driver to be number two at uh, Mercedes. I mean, he said he wants to be a little bit more selfish in his uh, title bid for 2021. But, you know, I, I just, you know, <laughs> I, I just have real issues with, uh, you know, the, you know, saying those things in the same sentence, like Valtteri Bottas and title bid, you know, over, especially over 23 races, I just uh, I, I just can't see how he could, uh, you know, think he could go head to head with Lewis over that, that length of time, you know, in the same car. I mean, until I'm proven wrong, I, I just find this one hard to swallow. Totally. We saw, I think we saw peak Bottas at the beginning of the 2019 season, right? Like yeah. we saw that torrid start by Mercedes and they were swapping wins and he looked exceptional and he wasn't making mistakes. And we were seeing a degree of confidence in, on him, in him on the track, particularly with his race craft that we hadn't seen before. And, and I remember every podcast and every media outlet was kind of picking up on that, uh, the notion that, hey, this is V2. He's he reinvented himself. He's yeah. found a, a new identity. And ultimately by the middle of that season, it fizzled away and we've never seen it again. And he picked up, he picked up a couple of race wins last year. And to me, I, I don't know if you can celebrate that. You're in the best car on the track and in a 17 race calendar, you can't just win two races, right? Mm-hmm. Especially when your teammate wins 10 or 11. I, I just, I, I think we've seen the best of Bottas and I don't think there's anything left for him to to find inside him in terms of his psychological approach to the sport. I don't think he has that Nico Rosberg ability to become a, a dark menace and and take that kind of mental warfare into the, the the paddock every single weekend. And if that was there, he needed to apply it from day one, from the first day in 2017. I also think that if he suddenly showed up with kind of a new psychological and mental perspective on how he was going to prepare for the race weekend, I think to the team in Hamilton, this is going to come across as inauthentic and artificial. Like this isn't who you are. We know this is who isn't who you are. You've been with us for four years. You can't reinvent yourself now. I just, to your point, and the other challenge too, was last year I just I looked at the mistakes and some of the decision making that he would make on the track and just like man you can't be making those decisions in your early 30s in this car you're wasting too great of an opportunity I I think he's a great guy and I think he's the perfect pairing for Hamilton because Mm -hmm. he allows Hamilton the freedom to win races and and be a champion but he's also good enough that he guarantees the team constructors every single year so they're the perfect marriage I think 
Mercedes is perfectly happy with him. Um, but I think to your earlier point, ultimately, they're going to have to make a hard decision about what they're going to do with Russell because that for uh, Bottas is also not a young driver, right? Like he's in his 30s. And I think if you don't make that switch next year, you're going to lose Russell. But if you make that switch, you potentially upset Hamilton and change the dynamic of the team. So I just, yeah. I don't, I think we've seen peak Bottas and it was the first two months of 2019. And I don't think we're going back there. Yeah. And the other thing is too, that, uh, you know, going back to that whole Hamilton Rosberg uh, era, I don't think that Mercedes wants to go back there again. I no mean, they, you know, they're, they're in a good place where they've been for the past four seasons. You know, they, they've won the double championship every, well, I mean, they've won it <laughs> ever since 2014, but it's been much less drama fueled, obviously, since uh, Nico Rosberg retired at the end of 2016 after he won his championship. And I think they're right in that sweet spot uh, right now. And I, I don't think that they want to upset that. I don't think they want to upset uh, Hamilton. I mean, you know, they, they make headlines uh, for, for all the right reasons. They don't want uh, headlines like we saw at Spain in 2016, where they take each other out on the first lap and all the little incidio spa, you know, that uh, when they had the coming together and Lewis ended up with the punctured tire and ended up all the way at the back of the grid and all the, you know, the, the, the draw. I mean, it was, it was great if you're not a fan of a Mercedes and if you're, it's great if you're outside of the team because, you know, it, it's, it's fun to watch and it's, it's great to like all the sound bites. But for the team themselves, it's like a, the, the worst case uh, scenario. So, yeah, you know, that's a really good point. I, it, you know, I know that Lewis is 35, no, that uh, Valtteri is 31, but uh, when you mention it, uh, you know, that they now have two drivers over 30, it kind of uh, re- really kind of became stark reality that uh, they, they have to start thinking about, uh, you know, the future now, or else if, if they wait a year or two, it might be uh, too late. And then, uh, well, <laughs> you know, I, I'm sure they, if they opened up the, the, the you know, the, the money bags, they could, uh, you know, pull somebody over, right. but, you know, there's, uh, you know, there, there's good options right now that they have especially with uh, with uh, George Russell. So, you know, finally, just to, before we go, there's a, one other article, which I thought was uh, really, really good. And Sebastian Vettel was saying that he's at peace now with the, uh, you know, his uh, exit uh, from Ferrari. And of course, uh, th- this really came up, well, not quite a year ago, but uh, getting pretty quick. It was rather uh, unexpected because we'd all, exp- you know, we were all, you know, rather waiting for the announcement that he was going to resign, get a new deal with uh, Ferrari. But I think that, uh, you know, he's, he's in a good place now at Aston Martin. I think obviously the time, you know, it would became rather dramatic with the, uh, the Italian Grand Prix at Monza in 2019 when Charles won that race. That I think there was ever any lingering discussion about who the future of Ferrari was. I think it was settled after the the Italian Grand Prix, and last year it was it was pretty apparent who they were really focusing on. So, I think that Vettel gave it his best. He came awfully close to pulling off in 2018, prior to the summer break, you know, and uh, you know there were still some you know moments afterwards in the latter half of the season. But uh, I, I don't think that he has anything to really. Obviously, I think he'll wanted it to, to turn out uh, different, and I think there's obviously some incidents that uh, he would like to have uh, maybe have played out a little bit different in some races over the past couple of years. But I think uh, on the whole, I think that uh, he shouldn't look down or be uh, you know negative about his experience at uh, Ferrari. I mean, he gave it the best that he could in a car that was competitive uh, at times, and uh, you know, and more recently not so much. And I think that uh, you know he, he's a, you know it's a good place to sort of draw a line in the sand and move forward to the next. Next challenge. It's a really unique story for Vettel, right? Like you don't see you don't see drivers have this type of opportunity this late in their career. Yeah, he, he's yeah. been in the sport since 07, 08. He won a race with uh Alpha, well, I guess it was Scuderia uh, Toro Rosso before, but ultimately he he runs off four championships with with Red Bull, makes the transition in 2015 to 
To Ferrari, um, obviously they weren't able to make a significant dent in Mercedes' reign of terror, um, but ultimately he gets this unbelievable kind of revival opportunity with this heavily, heavily resourced Aston Martin team. Like, I just think for the narrative of his career, there could be something special here. And and ultimately, maybe it's not a driver's title because I, I don't know if that's going to happen. But I think if he can go there and he can win races and he can help develop Lance and he can help forge a really strong Aston Martin F1 identity and kind of bring them back into the sport with a significant degree of prominence, like, I think that's going to reflect really well on his career because ultimately, I don't think the, the Ferrari period will. And and I think that when people reflect back on his uh, successes and his disappointments with Mercedes, they're probably not going to be quick to point out, well, hey, look, it was during an era of absolute massive Mercedes dominance. I think they're going to probably reflect on kind of his personal driver errors like uh, Singapore in 2018 and Mm -hmm. some of those mistakes. Like I think that's what people are going to focus in on. And I think I'm excited for Vettel because I think he's a great guy and he's not super charismatic, but I think he's a good guy and he's a good person and he's well-spoken. I think he's great off the track. I think he's a great family guy. I want him to be successful with Aston Martin. And I really hope that this Aston Martin kind of experience helps to transform the narrative of his career. Like, hey, look, he was ultra dominant. He won four titles with Red Bull. He went to Ferrari. He came close, but it was really tough to compete against that dominant Mercedes monster. And then he goes to Aston Martin and he helps to kind of invent this new kind of reemergence of a a works semi pseudo works team at, at Silverstone. But but yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to see what he can do. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, perhaps if uh, it hadn't worked out uh, the way it had with the, with the, with Aston Martin, perhaps he went to another team or perhaps he had to sit out for a year or perhaps he decided to retire. He may have uh, had a completely uh, different take, but I think uh, certainly going to uh, an exciting team uh, and a team with a, a lot of prospects over the next couple of years, like Aston Martin, probably helps uh, soften the, the, the blow of, uh, you know, the, the, Maybe the disappointments of the what might have been at uh, at Ferrari, right? Yeah, and that's it, Mark. That's all I've got. Uh, you know, we, we've covered a lot of ground uh, this week. Uh, we, we made up uh, for you know coming in a couple of days late, but uh, I'm glad that we finally got a uh, chance to, to to sit down. And now I, I guess we're leaving you with the ultimate teaser because we deliberately left out to Ferrari out of our bracket. You know, are they going to give us another talking point when we come back on uh, on Thursday night to do next week's show, or are we going to are we going to be justified in our bold uh, decision to kind of like glance right over them and uh, and put push uh, Alfa Romeo through the bracket onto the semifinals. But however it turns out, it's always good because it's always going to give us something to talk about. Cool. All right. Well, that's it, guys. Thank you very much uh, for listening and catching uh, the, uh, the the version uh, of the podcast up on uh, YouTube. If you want to get in touch, by all means, do so. We love the emails, love uh, the tweets that, uh, that that we hear from all of you. And uh, you can do so uh, by sending us email at scuderiaf1pod at gmail.com or at scuderiaf1pod on, uh, on the Twitters. And that's it. That's a wrap. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. And uh, let's just think, two weeks until the first uh, first episode of Drive to Survive or the entire season, I think, comes out at the same time. And only a couple of weeks to the first race. It's an exciting time of year. It's Christmas Eve for Formula One fans. Doesn't get any better. And uh, with that said, that's a wrap. We're out. Take care. Talk to you guys soon. Bye for now. <laughs>